Ted Bohorquez here with News Talk KZRG. Welcome to this week's episode of Plot Summary, where I take all the things that me, Steve, and Peter discussed this week on the Morning News Watch, and I give you a nice little plot summary of it in about 45 minutes or less. So we're going to jump right into it. I want to start off this week with Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. Something we talked a lot about this week on the Morning News Watch is the fact that Republican voters are overwhelmingly showing support over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for the 2024 primary race for president over Donald Trump. Now, this is currently a theoretical matchup between the two for 2024 for a couple of reasons. Number one, Ron DeSantis has not actually announced if he was going to be running. He hasn't even announced if he's been interested. Ron DeSantis, these last several weeks, have been playing it very close to his chest. People have been asking him in interviews, do you plan on running? Do you have hopes uh, for running, do you have anything in the in the hopper, anything cooking up? And he always basically says no comment. He sort of dances around the question. So this is why it's a theoretical matchup. But the thing that's kind of wild is that even despite the fact that everyone knows DeSantis hasn't announced, they still support him over Trump. And this is Republicans we're talking about here. This is not Democrats or your average American. These are Republican voters overwhelmingly supporting DeSantis over Trump. One survey showed DeSantis is leading Trump. 56% to 33%. Again, this is all just among Republican voters. That's a huge, huge lead. Some people theorize that this might not be so much a DeSantis thing, so much as a Trump thing. Um, according to another poll, 61% of Republicans prefer an alternative candidate than Trump. While 31% of registered Republicans are sticking with the good old Trumpster for the party's 2024 nominee. So, is it pro-DeSantis or is it more people are tired of Trump? Nobody really knows at this point. Now, another theory behind where this comes from is the results of this poll that I'm about to read to you. Biden led Trump in a hypothetical 2024 matchup, 47 to 40 percent. And I think that's where some of this voting away from Trump on the Republican side is coming from. They're thinking strategically here. Trump has become a very um, controversial character and regardless of, you know, how you believe the 2020 election played out, the reality is, is according to polls, a lot of people that were on the fence, a lot of people that would have or might have voted Republican voted Democrat because of Trump. And a lot of uh, strategists in Washington, Republican strategists are realizing that what was once such a golden ticket for the Republican Party, this Trump ticket might actually be a little bit of a curse now. So some people are jumping ship. Heading over to DeSantis. It's, it is a very interesting hypothetical lead up here. And by the way, that's not to sell DeSantis short. People aren't pro a Ron DeSantis run in 2024 just because they don't like Trump or because they like his name or something. Ron DeSantis has been really killing it for the Republicans big time. In fact, just this week, Ron DeSantis announced that he is petitioning the Florida Supreme Court to form a grand jury to investigate Pfizer and Moderna. Those are the two big companies with the COVID vaccines. And also what we found out from Twitter drops via Elon, shout out to the Muskie, is that um, they were also engaged politically, these companies. Now, Ron DeSantis tweeted out, In Florida, it is against the law to mislead and misrepresent, particularly when they're talking about the efficacy of a drug. So today, I'm announcing a petition to the Supreme Court of Florida to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate any wrongdoing with respect to the COVID-19 vaccines. That was a tweet that Ron DeSantis had made. So, yeah, Ron DeSantis is a strong player 
Because a lot of people, according to reports, feel that he really is listening to the citizens. And uh, a lot of Republicans had a lot of concern with this COVID vaccine, with the mandates, with the lockdowns, with all of it. And I'm not talking just Republican, you know, politicians, Republican people, Americans, citizens, average Joes, you and I's. They had these concerns. And Ron DeSantis answered the call. He said that people want to hear from these companies. I'm going to petition the court to hear from them. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, Ron is killing it, man. He really is. He's a strong candidate, undoubtedly. He said he wants to bring legal accountability to those who misled the public. That's always a good sign. And the other great thing about Ron and, you know, with this, for example, is when Ron DeSantis wants to do something, he comes in with a plan. He doesn't say, I want to lower taxes. He doesn't say, I want to hold those accountable. He doesn't say, I want to go up against the woke mob. He says, this is how I'm going to go up against the woke mob. This is how I'm going to hold these people accountable. This is how I'm going to lower your taxes. That's how all. That's how he does all, everything. When it comes to this big pharma court, for instance, he, he came in with fire. He said, look, this is not an unprecedented move. And he was citing legal actions taken by the states against actors involved in the opioid crisis. A number of states and local governments reached settlements in actually recent years following lawsuits against opioid manufacturers and distributors. So Ron DeSantis came in with the plan. And that's what a lot of people are looking for, I think, in this time of sort of aimless mass misinformation, mass over-information, over-sharing, over-details. You know, you look up, is coffee bad? Some say yes, some say no. All of it is based in fact. You don't know what to believe. You're looking for a leader here, and Ron DeSantis is coming in with that. He says, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. People are drawn to that. People want to follow leaders like that. And I think that's another example of why Ron DeSantis might be a really rough contender against Trump, should he choose to run in 2024. Now, meanwhile, on the other side of the uh, alley here, on the Trump side of this potential matchup, there's been a lot of uh, issues in the Trump campaign Uh, Just this week, the uh, Trump raid lawsuit had a big update. Now, Trump requested that a special master be in charge of an investigation into his documents. That was, he wanted that. Well, U.S. District Judge Aline Cannon, which, by the way, was someone that he appointed, former President Donald Trump appointed Aline Cannon, confirmed that legally she, nor anyone else, has the authority to grant a special master to oversee an investigation led by the Justice Department. She doesn't have the authority. Nobody does. And that was the ruling this week with the whole special master issue. So, you know, when you hear, oh, Trump didn't get his special master, was it the deep state? No. These judges, again, that he appointed, said that there's just no legal precedent for this. There's no law that says this is okay. There There is no power granted to us. And judges can't just invent powers that's dangerous. That's why we have checks and balances. So, you know, it's good good for the judge. You know, she was hoping to be able to grant him a special master, I'm sure. But she wasn't able to. So good for her for holding herself accountable to what is legal and what is right in the system. And now that the special grant, the special master question has been answered, the Justice Department now has permission to use any documents, any and all documents found in a criminal investigation against him. And um, as a matter of fact, other judges uh, commented in similarly in favor of essentially her argument here. Judge William Pryor, who was an appointee of George W. Bush. So we are talking about real conservatives here. Judge Pryor said 
we cannot write a rule that allows any subject of a search warrant to block government investigations after the execution of the warrant. Yeah, that's sort of a dangerous precedent to set because you know the Clintons and the Bidens are going to be using that every single day the second that precedent is set. Judge Pryor went on to say, nor can we write a rule that allows any former presidents to do so. Either approach would be a radical reordering of our case law limiting the federal court's involvement in criminal investigations, and both would violate bedrock separation of powers limitations. So there you go. It was a grand idea that Trump had to grant the special master. It seemed to have made sense. But unfortunately, it undermines the entire legal system that we have in this country, which, as an American... I think we should support. I think we should support our legal system. It's pretty much the best one that any country has come up with. No other country really has a good one other than us. Let's be real here. So there you go. I mean, on one side of the aisle, we have this potential showdown of the Titans, Trump versus DeSantis type situation. We'll see what that turns into. On the other side of the aisle, we have our man in the race, good old Sleepy Joe. Well, Sleepy Joe has not announced whether or not he uh, is going to be running again in 2024. A lot of Democrats, according to polls, are not all that hot on him running again. So we'll see what that turns into. But in any case, something very shocking did come out this week about good old Sleepy Joe, President Biden, the man of many talents, the man who was raised in the black church. He was raised in the rail yard. He was raised in the Jewish synagogue. He was raised on the pool deck. He was raised with minorities. That's... um. He's got quite a lot of really diverse childhood for someone that grew up in like the 40s. Well, it came out this week that Sleepy Joe's Securities and Exchange Commission Office Chairman Gary Gensler had scrubbed records that show a meeting with Hillary Clinton, George Soros, and Nancy Pelosi. Hmm, interesting. He had a meeting with all these individuals and uh, the record was scrubbed. I guess he didn't want any mention of the fact that he met with these individuals privately. Gensler's public calendar showed that he only had staff meetings on August 7th, 2021, and yet his private calendar that was leaked listed a second meeting on that date with Clinton. Now, on August 20th, 2021, his public calendar lists a meeting with George Soros. So, interesting. That's interesting that this individual who is supposed to have public calendars also has a private calendar with secret meetings on them. But I'm sure that he just met with Clinton to, you know, talk about hairstyles and their favorite cocktails. Yes, I'm sure that's what was going on. Well, on August 20th, about two weeks later, his public calendar listed a meeting with George Soros, but hid the meeting's agenda. His private calendar, however, showed that the meeting was to discuss the forthcoming Wall Street Journal op-ed that Soros was planning to write. Very interesting, because in that op-ed, he happened to mention that um, he and he alone wrote it. Hmm. Then what on earth is Sleepy Joe's cabinet doing helping you write an op-ed? Huh. Fascinating. And then finally, we get to good old Nancy Pelosi. Now, archived copies of Gensler's public calendar, again, Gensler is Biden Securities and Exchange's Biden Securities and Exchange Commission Office Chairman. Gary Gensler here we're talking about. So this is the guy. Look, there's inflation. The economy's a mess. FTX collapse. This is the guy that should have been, you know, working on this. Well, archived copies of his public calendar 
shows that the SEC hid a September 2021 meeting with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Now, actually, they hid multiple meetings. So Gensler had several meetings with Nancy Pelosi in secret about something that is undisclosed that was not advertised like it should have been because, you know, keep in mind, by the way, these are public figures. These people work for us. We should know what they're doing. When you have a manager at a job, you got to tell the manager what's up, what you're doing, what's going on. Well, we're the manager of the politicians. We're the people. They work for us. They got to let us know. We have to be apprised of what they're cooking up over there. And they're having secret meetings without us. That's a red flag, man. Now, since those archived calendars have been found, there has been public pressure about the whole incident. And uh, he went ahead and updated them. So now the calendars show that there were several meetings with Nancy Pelosi and the SEC in 2021. Interesting. Look at that. Protest and public outcry does work, folks. Don't let others fool you. Don't let them say, why are you arguing? Why are you complaining? It's not going to change anything. It is going to change it. Keep the pressure on. And, you know, part of the problem with all this ultimately is just the secrecy. Again, these people work for us. We are their bosses. We need to be apprised of this. And the left, you know, right now, they love saying this phrase over and over. The right is undermining the fabric of our democracy. That's what they say. They preach it. They sing it from the from the mountaintops, the treetops, whatever top you want them to be on. That's where they're doing it from. But as it turns out, it's not the conservatives or Republicans or the right that are undermining the fabric of our democracy. It's the politicians. And that is showcased very simply in the continued growing dissatisfaction of Congress that the American people have. According to one poll that we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch on News Talk KZRG, one in five Americans say that they are happy with Congress. One in five. (laughs) I mean, these politicians are running our country. One in five Americans say they're happy with Congress. That's not very good, my friend. That is not good at all. Two-tenths. Two in ten people are pleased with Congress. We can do better. We are the best country on the planet. We are the most, we are the wealthiest. We're the best looking, let's be honest there. We have the most honor, the most valor, the most freedom. Why are we not demanding better? We've gotten into this weird cycle where we're just like, well, one in five is pretty good. We can be fine with that. No, man. It should be four and five. It should be nine in 10 Americans are pleased with Congress. Right now, we have one in five Americans are happy with Congress. And with all that, we're now starting to see some cracks in the armor, so to speak, with the Democrats over there. A lot of people are starting to leave the Democratic Party. And I'm not talking voters. I'm not talking Americans. I'm talking the politicians. Democrat Senator Kirsten Sinema left the Democratic Party to become an independent just this last week. That was huge news that we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch. She left the Democratic Party. Now, keep in mind, she was elected into the Senate as a Democrat. The Democrats supported her. The Democratic voters supported her. Non-Democratic voters supported her. Whoever voted for her supported her as a Democrat. And now that she has been reelected, she left. She goes, I'm not going to be part of the Democratic Party anymore. And the reason she said she left the Democratic Party is because she believed that the Democratic Party was no longer working for the American people. And keep in mind, I'm going to say it again, this is a Democratic senator, or at least was. And she said, in her opinion, the Democratic Party is no longer working for the American people. She said that she thinks that the Democratic Party is way too tied on partisan lines, which severely limit their ability to get deals done. Yeah, no duh. Thank you, Kirsten, for confirming everything we already knew. But I will say, good for you, Kirsten, for having the absolute goal, the balls, the girl boss mentality 
to go ahead and leave the Democratic Party because I cannot imagine how much hate she has probably gotten from the party of love, Uh the Democrats. That's what they call themselves. Um, And they probably threw a lot, a lot of hate at her. So good for her for going independent. Now, a lot of people were wondering this week whether or not Joe Manchin will be doing the same. Now, if you remember Joe Manchin not too long ago, he was the one that originally had stopped a lot of Biden's bills by refusing to vote for them. Joe Manchin is a Democrat, but he time and time again voted against the Biden party because he goes, look, I agree with Democratic values. The problem is I don't think that Biden is running the country well, is essentially what he said. So could Joe Manchin be leaving the Democratic Party? Maybe. Maybe. Now, some people this week in relation to Joe Manchin, they pointed out something interesting. They said Joe Manchin has served in elected office going back to 1982. That's 40 years of running and winning as a member of the Democratic Party in West Virginia. So Joe Manchin has been successful. Joe Manchin has been successful because of his personal brand and the trust he's built with voters over four decades, not because of the party label next to his name. And I think that that says a lot. He's been running and winning, running and winning over and over and over. Meanwhile, the country has been blue, red, blue, red, flipping and flopping, and yet Joe Manchin is running strong. He's staying on that path. So, yeah, he clearly has something going for him other than just being a Democrat. Could he possibly thrive even more without the Democratic Party? Probably. Could he offer more to the citizens of West Virginia without the Democratic help? Yeah, he probably could offer more because now he would no longer be forced to do no deals with Republicans. He could probably get some pretty sweet action going on in West Virginia for his constituents with the help of the Republicans because he's no longer not allowed to talk to them if he was an independent. That's basically the way they run. I mean, I mean, some of the, you know, D.C. politics on the left and a little bit on the right, I will say, just seems so childish, really. Uh, you know, they're not really allowed to strike deals with each other. They can't really have meetings with each other or speak nice about each other. We're all Americans, man. We're all on the same team. It's us versus the Chinese. It's us versus the Russians. It's not us versus the Democrats or us versus the Republicans. That's not the mindset we need to have here. And I think that Kirsten Cinema is going to start reaping the reward of being able to actually work cross-partisan lines now that she's an independent. And I hope to see more politicians doing the same. Now, the last politician that made major waves in uh, the news this week on the morning news watch at News Talk KZRG was Missouri U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley revealed this week documents that show Nina Jankowitz, who was the head of the now defunct Disinformation Governance Board, or more famously known as Sleepy Joe's Ministry of Truth, she, as well as other Department of Homeland Security members, planned several meetings with Facebook. Hmm. Which is very interesting because Jankowitz assured the American people that wasn't happening, that wasn't going to happen, that wasn't on the purview, and that you didn't need to worry about it. She also promised that if you did worry about it, then you were a dangerous conspiracy theorist undermining democracy. And yet, that's what they were doing. Emails show that they made repeated attempts to schedule meetings with Facebook. So they were lying to you. They were lying to me. They were lying to the American people. They were lying to all of us. And it was not a they lied by accident. They were knowingly lying. I would call that disinformation, which is ironic because supposedly that uh, disinformation governance board was supposed to be battling that. Uh, Not so much. Well, these emails were also uh, CC'd Brandon Wales, 
who was identified as the response coordinator for the Ukraine crisis. Now, that is very interesting because not only were they planning with Facebook, they were trying to have meetings with the response coordinator on the Ukraine crisis. Why is a private company and the government coordinating together responses about a public issue? And by the way, a foreign issue that is Ukraine. Sounds a little big brothery to me. Well, in the end, they did have that meeting and they had it on April 7th. Now, that didn't make headlines, did it? Of course it didn't because they were lying and they were hiding it. So, yeah, Josh Hawley went ahead and revealed all of that this week. Josh Hawley's been revealing a lot, a lot of very scary big brother activity that has been going on underneath the Biden administration. He's been revealing that this week. He also did it last week and the week before as well. So, yeah, Josh Hawley, man, he knows what's up. Shout out to the homie. Now, that is pretty much what we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at Newstime KZRG in terms of politicians. Uh, We did quite a lot of uh, chatting away about policy, though, and there has been a lot of announcements about policy this week, most notably the uh, implementation of the New York Hate and Bias Team. (laughs) Uh, uh, I will be suspect number one. I hate that, and I have a bias against that because it sounds stupid. (laughs) New York Governor Kathy Hochul, who's a Democrat, by the way, announced that she's launching New York's Hate and Bias Prevention Unit. And uh, the unit, she's going to be giving them $100 million. $100 million to locate hate and bias and prevent it. Hmm. Now that is a good gig if you can get it. Effective this week, the New York State Division of Human Rights will launch the Hate and Bias Prevention Unit which will lead public outreach efforts and response to communities where they determine hate has occurred. That is sort of their little tagline there. That's what they're cooking up. Where they determine hate has occurred. Now, let's break down that language for a second here. Not to be one of those guys that likes to break down language, but I'm going to go ahead and be one of those guys that likes to break down language because this is interesting. They are going to lead public outreach efforts and response to communities where they determine They determine hate has occurred. Hate is a subjective concept. And who are the people that are deciding whether or not it has occurred? They. They're doing what? Determining. So not only do they have say, they have full, complete, and final say. They are the ones doing the determining. And that's the problem with this, is that for an anti-bias unit, there is so much inherent bias built into this. Because like, let's get rid of the fact that I think that this is a scam and that they're doing it for bad purposes. Let's get rid of that fact because that's a bias. Hate as a concept is a bias. What I define as hate, what you define as hate is based in bias. It's based on personal perception and opinion. So there's bias right there. They are the ones deciding it. They are the ones determining whether or not hate happened. They are making a decision without me, so there's a bias, it's just them, I'm not involved in this decision, and they are doing what? Determining. They are deciding indefinitely this is hate, for sure, undoubtedly this is hate. The entire process is so flawed and illogical and goes against their very name of hate and bias prevention unit, and yet they're getting $100 million. If I create a circle of logic so circular Can I also get $100 million, New York Governor Kathy Hochul? Because if so, I'll get working on it right away, man. I really will. And the frustrating part about this, and, and, you know, the question is, why are we talking about it here in the four states? Well, the unfortunate reality is 
New York as a state and California as a state are ultimately trendsetters. Whatever they start doing in the woke agenda, whatever they start doing to move the battle lines in this cultural war forward, other states follow suit. And so if we seeing this in New York, we're going to start seeing this in other places. And that's why we discussed it, because this is a really something that can spread its wings and lay its seeds right in our backyard. And what is done here in these instances, whether it be in New York or California or here in the four states area, really does matter. You know, people always say, well, why is language important? Why are we arguing over definitions of things? Can we talk about big things? Well, unfortunately, definitions of things in this culture war is important. Uh, and it really does matter. And I'll tell you why. This week, it was revealed that the FBI has taken it upon themselves to make sure that people cannot exercise their Second Amendment right due to mental health, determined, by the way, by them. So, yeah, this is a totally different story. We talked about this 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 week at the Morning News Watch on News Talk KZRG. But this is a perfect example of why these definitions matter. What is mental health? What is hate? What is bias? Because they are using those words to strip Americans of their rights. The Secret Service and the Immigration and Customs Enforcement have been secretly coordinating for years with the FBI to strip U.S. citizens of their rights to own, use, or even buy firearms. This, according to leaked internal emails. Internal emails. The FBI, essentially, they've been targeting people and registering them without their consent or knowledge, registering Americans as, quote, unsafe to themselves or others due to mental health. Yes, mental health. And and this is why this is exactly why this matters. This whole culture war and definition thing matters. If I say I don't think men can get pregnant and the left is in charge, they can say, well, you must be mentally ridiculous. You must be mentally ill. Only a mental person would say men can't get pregnant. You are clearly going through a mental health issue. Uh, you can no longer have the right to bear arms. Slippery slope. That is 100% a slippery slope argument. Funny coming. Come on, man. Can you argue that we're not getting close to that? I would argue we're already there. Because the FBI has been tagging people, registering them as unsafe due to mental health. You're no longer allowed to exercise your Second Amendment rights. These definitions matter. They really do. Now, something else that was revealed with these internal FBI documents, which was granted, by the way, thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request. So shout out to the FOIA system. You guys are doing God's work 100%. Um, What it was revealed is that the FBI has been going to veterans, veterans, people that served this country, protected us. And uh, they've been asking them if they have any mental health problems. Now, these FBI agents have been pretty much not labeling themselves of FBI agents. They haven't been lying. They haven't been saying we're the TV guy or we're a mental health expert, but they've not been positively identifying themselves as the feds. So they're going to these veterans, asking them if they have mental health problems. And if the veterans answer, yeah, I'm a little depressed or... Yeah, man, I fought in Vietnam. I fought in the desert wars. I just got back from Iraq, Afghanistan, wherever. Yeah, I have some PTSD. Then the FBI goes, oh, thanks for letting us know. Boop. They're on the chopping block. They just got tagged and registered as uh, mentally unsound, cannot exercise their Second Amendment rights. So, yeah, we really need to have a, a looked at, look at of what the FBI is doing. Because, dude, look, we all know the FBI has been picking on Americans. We all know that the government has been picking on Americans. They do that. That's why that's why we have our check and balance system. That's why it's by the people for the people, because the government tends to pick on their citizens. But to pick on the veterans, 
the very people that prop up, defend, and allow that government to exist through blood, sweat, and sacrifice, you're going to pick on them? (laughs) Okay, good luck with that, my man. Now, I will say something very interesting and a little scary, even more scary than the fact that the FBI can just strip you of your rights whenever they want, is when they were doing this. Now, according to this FOIA request, this activity was happening between 2016 and 2019. Hmm. Now, I'm not all that good at math, but I do know that's when Trump was involved. So what is that about? There's a lot of question this week about did Trump know or was this just a perfect example of the deep state working against the will of the captain of the ship, in this case, Donald Trump? Maybe. Maybe. The jury is out on that. Did Trump know? Was this deep state? I don't know. And nobody knows. But what we do know is that the FBI was targeting veterans and was targeting everyday Americans using the tag mental health in order to strip them of their Second Amendment rights. And that was happening between 2016 and 2019. That's what we do know. A lot of unanswered questions there. Now, some other uh, policy and stuff that came out this week that we discussed on the morning news watch at Newstime KZRG was good old San Francisco. They um, San Francisco passed UBI initiatives, which stands for universal basic income. That's stuff that Bernie Sanders fought for. That's stuff that Andrew Yang with the Yang Gang fought for back in 2016 and 2020. Um, San Francisco passed universal basic income initiatives, UBI, but only for black people. Yeah. Based, uh, they are making decisions based on race. If you are the race that I like, if your skin color is the color that I like, then the government will give you money. Now, I'm not a genius in this field, but that sounds pretty racist to me, man. And now here's kind of the funny part about this initiative. These UBI programs, all of which are publicly funded, violate both the United States and the California state constitution. <laughs> I mean, like... I mean, like, they don't stand a chance. I mean, these things are not going to, these things aren't going to survive the courts. They're just not. Lawyers say that not only do they violate the country and the state's constitutions, they also violate all civil rights laws and that ban race discrimination. They go against, like, every single law. And by the way, again, this is just San Francisco here. So that's like San Francisco passing an initiative that says, yeah, you can just murder people. It's like, no, murder is still illegal, buddy. Just because your city council passed an initiative, not even a law, it's an initiative. It's, it's just ridiculous. Now, these initiatives included the Black Economic Equity Movement. Shout out to the homies. Uh, now, the Black Economic Equity Movement would provide $500 a month exclusively to black young adults, which I have a lot of questions there. Is like, how do you define black? Is it 164th, 110th, half, one quarter? Okay, that sounds a lot like the race stuff that we were doing in the 60s that we outlawed. Interesting. And how do you define young adult? Was it cut off when you're 30, 20? I would say young adult is from the age of like from like 16 to 22. That's like young adult. Once you're once you're like 25, you're an adult, dude. You're not really a young adult anymore. You're pretty much an active member of society. So do people get it from 18 to 25 then or what? Like, you know. It doesn't really make sense. Now, another one of these initiatives included the Abundant Birth Project, um, which which would provide $1,000 a month 
to black and Pacific Islander mothers. Okay, so now not only is it a race-exclusive thing, you have to be the correct skin color that I like to get money, but it's also a sexist thing. You can only be a woman in order to get this money. Not only that, you have to be a pregnant woman, or do you have to be a mother? Does it go out to people that are pregnant or people that already had the kid? I don't know. <laughs> a lot of questions here. Here's my And, and then the last one is this is my favorite uh, initiative for this universal basic income program in San Francisco. It is the Guaranteed Income for Transgender People program, uh, which will dole out $1,200 a month and prioritize enrollment for government funding of transgender and black indigenous people of color. <laughs> so, so what do we got here? Now, well, what's the trifecta? I want to like here's what the trifecta is. If you are a black individual in San Francisco that is transgender, let's say you are a 22-year-old black woman who's transgendered and gave birth to a kid, you hit that trifecta, you would get two, five, six, seven. You would get $2,700 a month. $2,700 a month from the government just by virtue of being black and trans and a mother. Dude, <laughs> a month. You wouldn't even need to work. That's some people's hardworking salaries a month. That's insane. Yeah. These are the policies they're trying to push. Now, these policies aren't going to stick around, obviously, because they're racist and sexist. And all three of the initiatives violate the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, which bans states from discriminating based on race and sex. And it also violates Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which bans racial discrimination by recipients of governmental funds. So, dude, they're, they're, it's screwed. It's, it doesn't have a prayer. It's not going to last. So why are they doing this? And that's the big question. They're, they are pushing for initiatives that they know will not last a single day in the wild. Why did they push this? Well, because they're trying to form dissent. That's all they're trying to do. Because they, they promise stuff like this or they promise paying off student loan debt. And, the, and people get all excited and go, that's a great idea. But unfortunately, it's illegal. So they, they, you know, they pitch great ideas that sound awesome and fun, but are illegal. And then, and then they get their citizens, their constituents, angry. Not at the fact that the law that they just passed was stupid and didn't make sense, but that the laws exist in the first place to prevent it. If, for instance, they pass a law saying, "Yeah, you can rob a bank and just take as much money as you want," you go, "Oh, heck yeah." That would solve all my problems. I no longer have to worry about rent or child care or my car payments. That's an amazing idea. And then somebody like the Republicans come along and say, well, hold on. You can't just go robbing banks. That's going to incite violence. That's stealing from other people. And it's wrong. And then me, a pro-rob bank movement, will say, well, then the system is broken. If I can't exercise my freedom to rob a bank, then the system is broken and we need to destroy it. And that's what they're trying to do with this is sort of so dissent and frustration at the system, not at the black economic equity movement or the abundant birth project or the guaranteed income for transgender people program. So, you know, the whole thing just doesn't stand a prayer. And essentially, it's a publicity ploy. That's why they're doing this is it's a publicity ploy to try and make themselves look super woke. They're trying to give free money to black and transgender and young people. 
while also making those very people angry at the reasonable adults who say that's against the law. It's a two-in-one for them. They sound, they look great. These liberal politicians look great. They make everyone look bad. But unfortunately, the real world isn't about looks. It's not a popularity contest here. We're trying to run a nation. We're trying to make sure that our children are safe, that our economy is working. It's not about what you look like or if you're trans. It's about logic. And these initiatives, unfortunately for San Francisco, are illogical. So, yeah, that's pretty much what we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch on News Talk KZRG. Also this week, we had uh, Fox News' David Webb on. We had Neo Show's The Legislative Lion on. We had Monday with the Mayor. So you can always catch all that on our Facebook page or at NewsTalkKZRG.com. And remember, if you ever miss anything on the Morning News Watch, you can always tune in right here at Plot Summary with News Talk KZRG.